Hey, everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. And uh, we're getting close to the end of the year here. So we want to talk about the three biggest lessons from 2020. Now, in my case, I got the news of this topic a very short time ago, which is uh, why they call me kind of the, uh, the dream team, the professional. We got the dream team here, absolutely. We got uh, a Greek guy. You'll never believe how to pronounce his name. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, let me remind you, we've got a super chat feature here. You can comment and add some money to it so we know you mean it. Money talks, as they say. And um, on top of that, I want to announce that Coming up uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, right? Yeah, tomorrow's Wednesday. We got at 7 p.m. UK time, 7 p.m. UK time, a show with James Valiant and Harry Binswanger to talk about Ayn Rand on the topic of homosexuality and objectivism on homosexuality. Obviously, it's a controversial topic. Ayn Rand made some remarks in her Q&As here and there. Anyway, they'll get into it, I'm sure, much more than I can right now. Um, so you might want to watch that. Leave yourself a note tomorrow, 7 p.m. UK time, the uh, YouTube uh, broadcast on homosexuality at the Ayn Rand Center UK. And coming up on Thursday, bro, this, this is going to be big. We got uh, the usual daily objective at 6 p.m. UK time, but we're going to have all four hosts, if I understand correctly, all four of us. You're going to have me, Nikos. You're going to have Mark Pellegrino. And the, the star that is Jonathan Honig. It's going to be big. I don't know. I don't know, if, I don't know if the internet could handle that much hype. But you definitely want to catch that. But let's talk about 2020. Now, it's, let's just say, been an interesting year. But honestly, every year is interesting when uh, this thing is active. I'm pointing at my head if you're listening to the audio version. When your mind is active, every year is full of lessons, it's full of trials, it's full of challenges, because uh, continuing to move, continuing to uh, use your power of volition, to leave your comfort zone, to realize that the job interview is never over, that is the job interview of life, uh, the audition is never over in the realm of relationships, including your personal sort of introspective relationship, if I could use that word. The, uh, the audition is never over. The, the process is never finished. So really, every year is challenging. But this one, I think we can agree, was an interesting year, to put it lightly. So we're going to talk about the three biggest lessons of 2020. Only I could turn that into uh, my usual five-minute opening monologue, huh? But let's talk to a guy who, uh, his name, you'll never believe this. It's pronounced Nikos Sotirokopoulos. That's probably worse than even the first month. Oh, so God. that's that's not good <laughs> progress. Anyway, so you mentioned you mentioned Thursday. So Thursday also is going to include one. Ask me anything. Actually, it's going to be ask us anything. So we're going to rumble about the year, but also uh, we can answer any question from the audience. Now, if this is super chats, even better. Anyway, so the three lessons from 2020. How about we go one lesson? For me, one lesson for you, and let's see. So my biggest, my first, actually, they're not in order of importance, but my first lesson was where you live really matters. Your environment really, really, really matters. And I understood this in three, in two ways. First, literally your house. So there's this fashion or this uh, new trend that says, oh, your house needs to be a small box. And that's like the, the important thing is you live in a place which is very hype 
and it's, it's, it's nice and your house doesn't really matter. Now, not only in during a lockdown, but I think normally where you live does matter. So during the, the first lockdown, the, the, the darkest days of March and April, there were days where because I was following strictly the rules, uh, once my one day out of the house permitted uh, walk was gone, I would literally go up and down in the house. So I found out that I had a corridor that I could make something like 15 steps. And I would listen to, a po- to, a, to, 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 a, to an audible book and I would just walk up and down. Now, this sounds completely as someone who is completely crazy, but I say I, say I really appreciated my house. Second important thing, where, what your country is really matters or your, your outside environment matters. So in May, I returned to Greece. I spent most of the time in Greece. It was very beautiful. Although I didn't do almost anything, the mere fact that I could walk in the sun, walk in a beautiful neighborhood, go to the park, this is something very, very important. So these are some of the things that we take completely for granted. But during such a time, you realize it is actually important. And also when I went back during the second more lenient lockdown, the mere fact that I would walk outside in York in a beautiful place is important. So I would say to people, try to, okay, not, uh, I would say to myself, always make sure that where you live is a beautiful place. Not not having in mind what's going to happen in the lockdown, but it's important for your, for the clarity of, of this one. I had, I think it was Nietzsche who said I had most of my thoughts, of my good thoughts, walking outside. That was 2020 for me. So first lesson for me, your environment, either it's your house or your neighborhood, really matters. That's interesting because I would think the year of the lockdown might teach you that it doesn't really matter where ge- geographically you are as long as you uh, are using the tools you have uh, to reach the world, maybe online or, or, or however. So that's, that's an interesting takeaway that it actually does matter. I've sort of like many, and I'm commenting on your, uh, item here, like many people in California, I've thought of leaving. I mean, I probably won't. I I love the weather and I could live wherever I want. Like I just, I like it here. I'm probably going to stay, but, but a lot of people have left and are going to leave. Like it's become like a normal thing. Yeah. Move to Texas, move to Vegas, you know, move somewhere cheap. And I've definitely thought about it. Like, I don't actually need like, like what's good about California weather, weather and, and uh, food, food. I mean, LA, yo, I mean, you don't appreciate it till you, and the people are good looking. I hate to say it. I mean, I don't hate to say it, but I hate to sort of uh, disparage every place outside of LA. You know, as soon as you leave uh, Los Angeles, you're like, why did God not make everybody as beautiful as the, as the city of angels? So anyway, that was my, uh, those are my thoughts on yours. Um, on your first item, I guess I'll give mine. Now, uh, I wasn't sure what order to do these in. Um, I guess uh, this is abstract for sure. This is an abstract lesson. So I'm going to start abstract and then I've got a couple concretes. On the abstract level, I've realized this year more than ever before that philosophy is inductive. Objectivism specifically is inductive. It, you observe first, you collect data and then philosophy help is there to help you organize it, to know what kind of what to do with that data. But if you're going to learn philosophy when you're young, as most people will, 
it's sort of a promissory note. It's sort of, um, it, it definitely helps you organize what you've already observed. But I mean, there's a almost 100% chance you're going to kind of become a little bit rationalistic or a lot rationalistic because you're taking the um, conclusions of a, you know, 60-year-old Ayn Rand, a genius who is very much an adult with magnificent novels and works in her catalog. And you're trying to apply that right now, right here to the life you're living. And it takes a lot of patience. So I've, um, I've definitely uh, had, a, had an interesting sort of introspective journey, um, some of which I've spoken of out loud. And I basically think kind of the best sort of the, be- the people most likely to understand objectivism are people who first chew on it, like they chew it, they don't, they, they don't take it on faith. I mean, they don't take it on faith, but like they, um, they listen to their teachers, like they turn to the best teachers they can find and they patiently ask questions and they make sure they agree with it and understand it as they progress and, it's, and, and they're patient with it. And also the people most likely to understand objectivism, and I'm sort of increasingly move, I think moving towards being in this group, is people who take an interest in the development of objectivism, which sort of is tied to the order in which Ayn Rand reached her conclusions, uh, the evolution of her as a writer, as a thinker. And so I'm increasingly understanding why so many people read Ayn Rand's journals and her letters uh, so I, I and, you know, early manuscripts of her novels, like now I'm starting to see why people take such an interest in the evolution of Ayn Rand, because to, I think to really understand a philosophy is to understand how it developed. And that doesn't only apply to Ayn Rand. It really it applies to other philosophers. You want to see the order in which they they arrived at their conclusions and their influences, as well as maybe, let's say, a philosophy of music or a philosophy of entertainment, a philosophy of science, you look at the, at the sort of uh, school of thought and you say, what are the influences that sort of contributed to this development and how did they arrive at this final stage? So, um, so that's, what I, that's the first item I've learned. Like I said, more on the abstract side. It's less of like, I learned how to open a can with a can opener. It's more of, a, more of an abstract lesson I've learned. Two comments on, on these very interesting things. First, uh, I really like what you said about uh, beautiful people. And with the risk of being considered shallow, I'll just say beauty matters, whether it is the people you see or, again, your environment. And the weather, the caricature is everyone is like, oh, I love Greece because of the weather. I never cared about the weather. This year was the first time I really appreciated. So yesterday I was out in a walk with a with a t-shirt and it was it was something like 20 degrees so so yeah this okay that's a really a first world problem people are going to say but no beauty does does matter the second uh, you mentioned the uh, induction uh, at some point we're gonna have so the iron center uk runs for all its members this discussion session on leonard peikoff's courses at some point we're gonna do objectives through induction and you are more than Welcome to attend, and I'm sure uh, you have the the benefits of of uh, of a member. So the second point, the second big lesson for me. Now that's gonna la- sound a lot Alex Jones like, but uh, I'm just putting it this way to make a point. So the second thing is, I realize that most for the things that really matter, you're on your own, and you don't 
have to, you don't, actually, you're not safe to trust, quote, the system. So this, in a way, the system will not be there for you when in difficult times and the interest of what we call dominant ideology or whatever do not necessarily coincide with yours. What do I mean with that? So what I mean is that in difficult times, your first line of defense is always yourself or your close network. This could mean either your immune system or the money that you have on the sides. But most important for me this year for peace of mind. So my two, my, the best thing I did during the first wave was for some like 10 days not to read the news and not to go on Twitter. Because I realized that there's very little there that had to do with you being informed about what is actually happening. So, for example, I noticed quite early that most of the big media would not ask the really important questions. For example, what is the percentage of positive tests? By the way, even today, you have to dig really deep to find these things out. Or I saw a lot of uh, essentializing fear and fear mongering. And I guess this sells because if it wouldn't sell, it wouldn't be there. But at some point, I realized that, you know what, this is not, this is not for me. This is not good for me. And the suspicion I have. So basically, what we realized is that our NHS is not there for you because the line was, make sure you don't get sick because if you do, we're in trouble. By the way, every day these days, this is the big message that the hospitals are overrun. And this is nine months after the first wave. So, but this is, but this is the healthcare system, which is supposedly the envy of the world, talking about the UK. So do your, do be independent, independent on the research you do, of course, having reality as the arbiter, find the doctors and the scientists that you trust, go to the original sources, this, were a, this was a big lesson. And the corollary of this is have a good network of people. So for me, it was so important, the change in the psychology. When I landed in Greece and I knew I have a network here, that if something happens, I am covered. And also I can help my, the people I'm close to. So again, it's very easy to glorify this nomad lifestyle. And I've been a fan of it. But quite often in life, you realize that a, you're on your own vis-a-vis, -vis, let's say, quote, the system, but also that you need this group of people that you can trust and they trust you. And they are not the first line of defense because the first line of defense is yourself from your immune system again to your mind. But this is, this is, uh, this is where you rely. You're not going to rely to the state. Yes, this year they furloughed you. They're giving you pocket money every month. But uh, yeah. If you, if you had many reasons to distrust, quote, the system, this year gave me way, way more reasons. So, like, you need to be responsible for yourself and not rely on the system, so to speak. And not rely even on untrued, uh, untrued information or what you, uh, what you see on TV the moment you click the three biggest networks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that makes you sound like Alex Jones. I think uh, you're seeing firsthand that uh, having a lobby system brings about all, all types of frenemies, people that are half there to help you and half there to uh, pit you up against someone else and take what's yours. So um, you're realizing that we need liberty, I think, and, uh, and a clear epistemology. Maybe I'm speaking on your behalf. So, um, I'm, trying <laughs> so to I'm, kind of putting it, I'm putting it in a... In a quasi-populist terms, you're putting it on philosophical terms, but I, 
I think we are we are using uh, we're we're talking about more or less the same thing. So what's your right. second point? So it ma- so to summarize yours, it matters where you live and like don't trust the system. So you're basically getting ready to move into a log cabin with a bunch of guns and canned food <laughs> and bottled water. Sounds sounds like we know what 2021 looks like. Uh, but anyway, um, my this actually leads perfectly into my second item, which is I've talked about this on the show that the the night of the election, Donald Trump announced basically that he won. He like basically announced like, yeah, like, that's it. We know we know I won and we're going to sue to make them stop counting votes. And the fact people went with that, like people were like, yeah, exactly. With that, I mean, was kind of a moment for me, like kind of a, an aha moment. And I know this is controversial, but what do you want me to do? This is this is the way I, this is what I've sort of concluded. Like Donald Trump, he represents the sort of conspiracy minded segment of the population. And yes, I realize the Democrats had their conspiracy theory for the last four years saying that the Russians did stuff. I never took them seriously. I never saw the Democrats as remotely worth um, taking seriously. But the fact that the Republicans, the fact that the sort of opposition to the leftists, the opposition to the socialists, you know, as we were hoping they were, have they nominated and elected a, a president who is sort of in the way I see it, kind of like the face of alternative news, the alternative media, this um, this sort of very, like you said, populist, but also kind of. Um, I hate to use this language, kind of very shitty epistemology, like shitty um, approach to how to get information and how to attain certainty. I kind of see uh, Trump as like the sort of Alex Jones, uh, Occupy Wall Street, sort of uh, libertarian anarchist, tar- sort of uh, favorite president, candidate, president. And and that is bad news. So I kind of had this very like serious aha moment when first seeing Trump announce victory on election night. That was sort of aha moment one. And then the following morning, seeing that the tides had turned in Biden's favor because of all the early voting that was being counted. And that this was being called voter fraud and like and the, the jury was in that in, in the minds of so many people. So, they, you know, kind of like when uh, I guess like, you know, here's some red meat for the other the other side of the aisle. When George Zimmerman was accused of killing Trayvon Martin on racial grounds without seeing without giving him a moment of consideration for the evidence to actually wait in here. Well, what are the facts? Immediately, Twitter announced, well, Zimmerman is racist. He tracked down uh, Trayvon and, and shot him point blank out of out of racial animus. And a congresswoman or someone said the same thing, that Trayvon was chased down and shot like a rabid dog. Um, so that's what kind of that type of mindset, that type of like I've decided what happened and I'm running with it is kind of what I saw uh, Trump and his um, and his enthusiasts sort of doing. And I kind of realized this sort of Alex Jones uh, news, this Alex Jones segment of the populace, they've sort of uh, got a very strong foothold on the right and um, they got their own president. So I, so these things that you might've told me a, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and I, I would have said, yeah, I agree. That makes sense. But it, again, on the topic of induction, it never quite is, is real until you really just see it and understand it firsthand. So I had that type of moment with Trump, with the right, seeing the way Republicans, including many past never Trumpers, got on board with this uh, this Trump train. 
um, repeatedly straw manning the opposition, repeatedly, repeatedly not listening to what the courts are saying. I mean, the courts, I mean, what more do you want than judges and, and courthouses to, 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 to take a look at it and give you their, their verdict? So at that point, what are you literally saying overthrow the whole country? Um, we need to, you know, so anyway, that's kind of what I learned. Uh, so item number two. And uh, it's very interesting that this was the year that so many people for so many different reasons said, I realized how uh, the third dry happened or things like that. But always they would say this for the other side. So, for example, COVID skeptics would say this about people who believe this or uh, or um, during the BLM uh, riots in the summer or with the, what you said about how how easily they bought this idea of election fraud. So almost everyone believes that the other side is uh, easily manipulated. And maybe there's something to each and every of these uh, claims. Anyway, so very quickly, my third lesson is basically have at least two or three different jobs. Now, I'm not flexing about my economic condition because it's not brilliant, but this was a year that should teach you that you need to be also independent in terms of your streams of income. So, and try to be as much uncancelable as you can for two reasons. One obviously was the, the situation that the government might not consider your job, quote, essential, which is one of the worst terms of 2020, essential worker. I hated this term. Maybe the only term I hated more was, quote, the new normal. Anyway, but also what we saw during the summer where people were very easily losing their jobs because of a very, uh, of a, of, of a very innocent comment about BLM or Antifa, this shows that this, is, that this was a year where you need really to think what kind of people do I rely on for my income and for my future? And what is the way I can, quote, diversify this? And this, again, this is not saying that, oh, buy gold or Bitcoin or, you know, buy a second house. Even if, even if you are at the, at the bottom of the economic pyramid, there's always some ways that you can try and think of how you can start building a second stream of income because, again, uh, this was this was the year that showed that whatever you were relying on is very fragile, and uh, you are you don't want to be at the powers of other people, specifically people with very bad premises, and people who, uh, in in you know, in order to virtue signal, could throw you under the bus just like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, in other words, do what you can to be as independent as you can. And um, the internet definitely gives us a lot of opportunities to do that. It might not be your chosen field yet, but uh, definitely see what you can do. Try your best. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a good year. All right. So now I, I got, <laughs> it's been a good year. I said, it's got a, I got one more, right? So, all right. I learned how to pronounce Sotirakopoulos. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Well, no one can top this, so uh, it's that's that's a big lesson. Mm. So I did it. Was that right? Yeah, but even if you didn't do it a hundred percent right, the line was so good that we shouldn't oh. let reality ruin a beautiful story. True, very true. That's what I say. Um, but in case that wasn't actually a, a perfect pronunciation, I guess uh, like sort of honorable mention. You know, I famously uh, advised people, make your bed. As soon as the lockdowns began, I said, make your bed every day. You know, pick out what you're going to wear. 
like actually think like, oh, I'm going to wear this shirt today, even if you're going to be home all day and no one's going to see you. So um, that type of thing, those are the types of uh, practices, the type of habits that I encourage, you know, that I, I practice and I encourage people that are interested in my opinion. I, that's what I like about people like Jordan Peterson, who, you know, he says, clean your room. I think he means it for the right reasons, like start with organizing and putting away things around you. And, and uh, that's how I would, uh, that's another kind of lesson. I already knew it, but kind of getting this kind of reminder of, of, you know, of being tested, you know, it's the moments when you need, you kind of need to, to practice these principles when you're being tested. That's kind of uh, the, the lockdown sort of reminded me, do I, am I really going to stick with this? And I did, and I have been. And um, by the way, thank you, Daniel and Christopher for your super chats. We are getting paid. All right. So uh, that, that, that we both did three, right? We're, we're, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. actually uh, also with me, this said, uh, so daily workout or uh, even doing weird things like rolling off my floor, watching BJJ videos or doing things with uh, my uh, sparring partner who is, who looks like, uh, who is not real, but anyway, I'm sure the neighbors we see from far are going to assume that I do some weird things, but the daily routines of exercise I don't know what I would do without them, but this is not something that I started necessarily in 2020. So I wouldn't, I didn't use it, but yes, this, this mm -hmm. kind of, this is the stuff that makes a difference. And let me also agree with you. I'm a big opponent of sweatpants and pajamas, but that's a big discussion. Not again, within a context, I don't like what they represent, so to speak, which is this, Anyway, that's that's yeah, I mean, I'm with you, you know, as someone who's been at home uh, through my 20s and now into my 30s, kind of working from home. Uh, there's not been one day unless I was sick. And even then I, I like to get dressed. So get dressed, you know, you know, something I've heard said in a in the context of um, of uh, recovery from addiction, like somebody said he, he was traveling, you know, he's a recovering alcoholic. He he thought about drinking. He said when he got to the new city, he said, I could drink here and nobody would know. And the sort of implicit answer he realized was, you're calling yourself nobody. You're calling yourself nobody. It's deep, right? So you could say, well, nobody's going to see me today. I can wear whatever I want. I can be as messy as I want. You're calling yourself nobody. Dude, that's deep. Get on the daily objective. And we'll be back here uh, tomorrow on the daily objective. And also... Uh, 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 shortly after the Daily Objective tomorrow, 7 p.m., we're going to have James Valiant and Harry Binswanger address this topic of, you know, Ayn Rand and objectivism on homosexuality and how, you know, what, what are the facts and how you might think about the issue. So uh, once and for all, it's, uh, it's going to be addressed in a hopefully sort of comprehensive manner. And then uh, Thursday, again, on the Daily Objective, we're back. And this time it's all four of us. Now that I want to see, which I'll also be in, so I'll have no choice but to see. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, uh, Nikos Sotirakopoulos. We'll keep practicing. We'll keep. Pra That's my New Year's resolution. See you back here tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.